Good morning. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Philippians chapter 1. If your Bibles or your phones or your iPads, however you're looking at the Scripture this morning, we'll be at Philippians chapter 1. I do want to thank you all for allowing me the opportunity to come once again and, and uh, to share the Word with you. Um, Another question you're probably asking is, weren't you guys just here? Uh, didn't, didn't we just send you guys back to South Asia? And uh, yeah, you did, uh, but um, we loved you so much we wanted to fly halfway across the world with two children just to be here. Um, actually, we knew we were going to come back. This is a, a short, very short work trip. We have to renew our paperwork so that they'll let us remain in the country. And so we had to, we, you have to do that from your home country. You're not allowed to do that from where we are. And so two weeks ago today, we started our journey and God willing, thank you for your prayers. Two weeks from today, we will leave again to go back. Um, but uh, that's still all up to the government where we sent our paperwork. So be praying for that over the next week, especially uh, all our, where there's nothing else we can do. It's all in the hands of of the Indian government. So, um, but we do love being here. I was just sitting here thinking, um, it's probably, I've probably been in and out of this church as much as I've been, or as long a period as I've been in and out of any church in my life, uh, because, you know, it's been 14 years, I guess, since Christy and I came back from Africa. And so, over those last 14 years of going to seminary in New Orleans and then living around Mississippi, and then you all being a partner with us in our work overseas the last five years, um, it's really been a blessing to us. And so, I do thank you all for um, just loving us, loving our children, and allowing us to be here. Um, I want to, uh, even before everything that happened this week in our nation, uh, first with the police shootings and then with the, the tragedy, uh, just the atrocity in Dallas. Um, God had laid this on my heart, and, and, and I hope that it can guide us a little bit as we seek to be the people of God in this country. Um, I know where we serve over in South Asia, they think that the United States of America is just this utopia, that it's just the perfect place, that everyone is free, everyone is happy, everyone can do anything they want. That's their view of our country. And so they, they just thank us so much every, every time we go to a different gathering over there. They say, thank you so much for coming over here and giving up all the, the perfect life you had over in the United States. And and if they could only sit with us and, and watch the, the news reports and, and, and weep for uh, all, all of the things going on, and if they could only you know, see our presidential election and the mess that it is and the, the pining that we all have because we don't know what God would have us do. And so my recommendation, and I think the way the Scripture is guiding us, I think the way that Philippians 1 is going to guide us this morning, is to take a step back from this idea that, that we are, first of all, and I think, I've, I'm, I don't know, I'm, I'll be 40 next Sunday, so I'm getting old. I don't remember what I preached on last time, but 
But I think I may have talked about what is your identity in Christ, or who is your, what is your primary identity? How do you see yourself first of all and most of all? And so, I'm pretty sure that's what I preached on, even though it was like four months ago. Um, as we look at Philippians chapter 1 together, I really think that Paul has a word for us. So let's read Philippians chapter 1 from verse 12 to verse 21. I'm reading out of the English Standard Version. Paul says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of rivalry, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Let's pray. Father, we do thank You for the way that You have brought all of us into Your body, into the body of Christ. God, we know there are people all over the world, there are people groups and tribes all over the world, God, that have never had the opportunity to even hear the gospel, to hear of Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. God, we thank you so much for just allowing us the opportunity to hear the gospel and to respond to the gospel and to be grafted into the tree that is the kingdom of God, that is your church, Father. I pray now that as we look at this word together, that you will convict us, that you will guide us, that you will help us to know, Father, how you would have us live our lives. I ask all of this in Christ's name. Amen. Think of why God has you here. Why does God have you in this church in this town, in this county, in your job, in your school? Why does God have you where He has you right now? That's a question that, you know, when I was a youth minister, that's a question that we always used to get from the youth is, is why, why does God leave us here once we, once we are in heaven? The youth would always say, why doesn't He just take us up to heaven once we become Christians? And, and that's a valid question. Maybe, maybe not always asked in that way, but that is 
a valid question, and, and I think it's a question that we can all ponder in our mind this morning. Why does God have us here, or, or getting away from that more general, why does God leave Christians on the earth after they become Christians? Personalize it, say, why does God have James here in Bay St. Louis for this month? Why does God have James and Christy and Rebecca and Reed in South Asia as long as He wills it, as long as they'll let us stay? And if they don't let us back in, why would God guide me and my family to wherever He has next for us? Think about that in your own life. Why does God have you at your job or in your neighborhood or in your school? And I think that that First Corinthians what ten thirty one is really a good guide for a good life life verse for all of us, where they were having the argument over the Lord's Supper and about all of these things, and Paul discusses all of it, and then in, in verse thirty one Paul says, Whatever you do, even the smallest things, he says, whether you eat or whether you whatever you eat, whatever you drink. Wherever you live, whatever job you have, whatever school you go to, whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. That's the answer to the question that you could give the youth when they ask you that or, or that you can apply to your own life. Why does God have the youth in the schools and in the classroom and even in the chair that He has them in so that He might be glorified through them right there? Why does He have you in your neighborhood, in your house, with, with your neighbors on each side who do things you don't like? Why does He put you there? For His glory. Alright, why, why does God do anything He does? Why does He allow us to have the jobs we have and the friends we have so that we might glorify Him wherever He has put us? And so... As I think about the things that have happened this past week in our nation and, and the, the divisiveness of our politics over the last year and, and the divisiveness of, of our reactions to, to what happened this past week, I really think that we can follow Paul's example here in Philippians chapter 1. And, and Philippians, just to give you a little background, Philippians is a, an occasional letter, uh, like all of Paul's epistles. Paul wrote them because of some specific thing that was going on in his life and in the church at Philippi. He did that for all of his letters. And, and if you think through the New Testament, through the letters that Paul wrote, most of the time when Walt Paul was writing these occasional letters, the occasion was something bad. There was usually some problem in the church. In Galatians, in Galatia, there, there were Judaizers coming in, claiming that they were Christians just like Paul, but saying that the, the believers in the church at Galatia, they had to follow the law, they had to be circumcised, they had to do all these things that the Jews used to do in order to be true Christians. That's why Paul had to write that letter to Galatians. In 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians and all of the communications and the people, the messengers that Paul would send to the church at Corinth, they had all kinds of issues. 
All right? They had lawsuits among believers. They had sexual immorality. They had just disagreements in the church over the Lord's Supper and over any number of things. And so Paul had to write a couple of different letters to the church at Corinth for that occasion. Philippians, it's really my favorite book in the whole New Testament. Really, it's, it's such a, a happy letter. It's such a good situation in the church at Philippi. And Paul's writing this church just expressing thanks to them for their support for him over the years of his ministry. We're going to look tonight, if you come back tonight, we're going to look at Philippians chapter 4 and, and why Paul had such this good relationship with the church at Philippi and how that mutual relationship carried forward the gospel. We're going to look at that this evening in Philippians chapter 4. Everyone's favorite verse from Philippians, Philippians 4.13, the, the most misapplied verse in all of Philippians. But I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. We'll look at that verse and, and what Paul was really saying there. Philippians 4 will show us tonight why Paul had the attitude that he had in his life here as he wrote the letter to the Philippians. But Philippians chapter 1 shows us a little bit about how the gospel had changed Paul. You know, that's why God has you here still. God has you here to glorify Him in your life. And the, the primary way that you glorify God in your life in Hancock County here today, is by becoming more like Christ. By having actions and reactions that are more Christ-like. And I think we can see three different things in the Scripture I just read. Three different ways that Paul was becoming more and more Christ-like. We call it sanctification. Maybe you've heard the word in church before. Sanctification just means becoming more sanctified, becoming more holy, becoming more Christ-like. It's a word in the New Testament. So, God has us here for our sanctification. And in Philippians 1 here, we can see how Paul was becoming more and more sanctified. You know, Paul wasn't always as Christ-like as he is here in Philippians. This is actually toward the end of Paul's life. This is a, a, a letter that Paul wrote from the prison in Rome. All right? And he had been in many prisons, but for the last couple of years of his life, Paul has been a captive of the Roman government starting in Judea, and then he was transferred up to Asia Minor to two different places, and then he was transferred over to Rome to appeal his case before Caesar himself. So Paul has been a prisoner for a couple of years, and he's, he's reflecting back on his life in this letter and in the, the letters to Timothy, in a couple of the other letters in the New Testament. We call them his prison epistles, his prison letters. And Paul really shows us how we should act and how we should react to the circumstances that are going on. You know, in any job that you've had, you probably got trained before you started the job. And you might have thought, okay, I think I, I, think I understand what I need to do in my job. But until you're actually doing your job, it doesn't matter what job. If you're a school teacher, if you're a cashier at Walmart, if you're an engineer, whatever you are, 
you can get trained beforehand all you want, but until you're a school teacher there and the 30 kids come into your classroom and start acting the ways that 30 kids act when they get together, you don't really understand what you're going to do and how you're going to handle all of the different situations. It's like that in any job. And it's like that in our Christian life as well. We can, we can come to church and we can study the Bible and we can read the Bible and we can pray, but until we see how our life is going to be outside of the church, until we see how we're going to react as Christians, as, as men and women trying to glorify God with everything, until we see that happen outside the walls of this church, when things don't go as we would want them to, when the candidate gets elected that we don't think is the most godly candidate, when some injustice happens that we think shouldn't have happened, then our reaction will tell us a lot more, I think, about our sanctification than, than just thinking about it beforehand. And so let's look at Paul. Here in the first couple verses that I read, Paul says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Paul says, I want you to know what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Now, just taking that verse alone, you may read it wrong. You think, well, maybe something great just happened to Paul. Maybe he did get some promotion. Maybe he did get some gift that's going to allow him to continue in ministry. That's not at all what he's talking about as we look on. Paul says in verse 13, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. So Paul is rejoicing here. He's rejoicing because he's been put in prison. All right? And it's not something that Paul committed some crime and that's why he's in prison. I mean, Paul first got taken into captivity because some Jews were trying to kill him. They were plotting to kill him, and he asked to be, you know, protected by the Roman soldiers. That's why he first got put into prison. We know that from the book of Acts. So Paul did not do something wrong to get thrown in prison. It is not justice we see here. It is a huge injustice that Paul is thrown in prison. And so what is Paul's reaction? Paul doesn't say this is the, the most unfair thing that's ever happened to me. This is a huge injustice that you, have to, that you have to correct. You know, in the time of Paul in the first century, it was very common for local magistrates, for governors and, and the rulers over certain areas to arrest Christians just so that the church would pay their ransom so that that governor or whoever could get some money, make some money off of someone being a Christian. Because Christians would often, you know, gather together their funds, or if there was a wealthy believer, they would pay for the release of believers who had been unjustly arrested. And so that was possible in Paul's case. There were wealthy Christians in Asia Minor and in Europe and in Rome. There were wealthy Christians. But Paul doesn't ask to be ransomed. He doesn't say, do whatever you can to get me out of prison. Paul says, no, I'm going to take this unfair thing that has happened to me, this injustice that has happened to me, 
You know, I, I've been thrown in prison. I've been shipped by royal escort all the way across the Roman Empire. And now I'm sitting in a jail in Rome. I'm going to use this for the glory of God. Paul says, how else, how else are the people that live in the household of Caesar going to hear the gospel unless through my mouth God has put me in a jail cell in the palace of Caesar and I'm going to share the gospel? Who else is going to share the gospel to Caesar and to all the people who serve him and to this the imperial guard, the praetorian guard, how are they going to hear the gospel except through the injustice that has happened to me? You see Paul's priority? Paul's priority was not this injustice has to be corrected. Now I'm sure that, that Paul and, and Peter and all the disciples, they, they enjoyed for for to be treated well they liked to be treated well they liked when laws were followed and just laws were followed they didn't like to be thrown in prison for no reason at all but when they were thrown in prison they didn't let that injustice become dominant in their thinking and become at the, the very forefront of their mind instead they let the gospel the glory of Christ sharing the gospel with those who might never hear except by their mouth, they let that stay at the forefront of their mind. Is there anything you can take away from that in your job? When when you've worked at your job for 10 or 15 years and and you've done your job well and you've, you've never gotten a negative report and then someone comes along who's been there a year or two and the boss promotes them instead of you, and it's, it's unfair. It's an injustice that's happening to you in your job. You can either let that bitterness grow inside of you and let that injustice be the, 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 the focus of your mind, or you can let the gospel be the focus of your mind and, and let whatever situation God has left you in or has put you in Let that be an opportunity to share with the people around you who have never heard. I don't think that things happen by accident. And by things, I don't mean big things like job promotions and who becomes president. I don't think those things happen by accident. I also don't think the little things happen by accident. And little things, I mean, I don't think that God has you sitting by that certain person on the airplane by accident. I think He has you there for a reason if you're one of His children so that He might be glorified through the conversation that you have with that complete stranger. That you might have your conversation, as Paul says in another place, just flavored with salt, flavored with the Gospel, so that that person who might never hear the Gospel besides you on that airplane will hear the Gospel on that eight-hour flight or nine-hour flight or 16-hour flight, however long your flight is. I think God has you wherever He has you for a reason. Not to become distracted by the events of this world, but to be focused upon the Gospel that people around you might hear. Think of how the New Testament describes believers. Jesus says this world is not 
our home. Paul says, we are not of this world. We are, we are just ambassadors here. The Bible says that, that the, the soldier does not become distracted by what's going on in the civilian life. Those are the different ways that the New Testament describes you. And, and each one of those descriptions tries to refocus us upon the fact that this world is not our home. That whatever is going on in Minneapolis or Baton Rouge or Dallas, while they are tragedies and while we should do whatever we can as citizens of this country to express our opinions on those things, you know, us getting on Facebook or spending all of our time focused upon that and expressing our opinion on that may be taking away from what God has you to do today where you are. Paul was in prison, guys. He wasn't, he wasn't just relaxing in some house in Rome, eating grapes and getting fanned. He, he wasn't doing that. He was in prison, sharing the gospel with the praetorian guard that was guarding him, these, these guards of Caesar that were guarding him. That's what, how he spent his time during this time of injustice. There's another thing that I think we can see from this Scripture. The second thing, in verse 15, Paul says, Some indeed are preaching Christ from envy, and rivalry. You see, Paul was a minister. That was his job. But there were certain people that were saying just horrible things about Paul while he was in prison. About him, about his ministry, about his disciples, about the people that the churches that he had started. They were preaching Christ one on one hand but on the other hand they were just kind of tearing down Paul and tearing down his ministry now not all of you are ministers like professionally ministers but you are all ministers in some way wouldn't it have been just fine wouldn't it have been normal wouldn't it have been just even for Paul to defend his reputation, to defend his ministries, his churches, his disciples? Wouldn't it have been just perfectly okay for Paul to do that? But Paul doesn't do that. Paul is, is in prison. He knows his time is not long for this world. He probably lives a year or two after he wrote the letter to the Philippians. He knows that there's some urgency to get the gospel out. And so look at how Paul reacts. Paul says, some preach Christ from envy and rivalry, others do it from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I'm here for the defense of the gospel. But the former, those who preach it out of envy and rivalry, the former, in verse 17, proclaim Christ out of rival, rivalry, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. Paul could have spent the rest of the, the letter to the Philippians just defending his reputation, just even, even denigrating those who were, who were preaching against Paul, he could have done that, but he, he doesn't. In verse 18, Paul says, what then? That's a simple little question. What then? Meaning, what, what am I to do? Paul says, only that in every way, whether in truth, those who loved Paul and were sincerely preaching the gospel, or in pretense, 
those who were proclaiming Christ on one hand and then just tearing down Paul's ministry on the other hand, whether in truth or in pretense, that Christ is proclaimed. It doesn't matter. Paul says, my reputation is not the most important thing. People thinking good of me, people liking me, is not the most important thing. Paul says, I just have a little while left. I don't know if I'm ever going to leave this prison cell in Rome. I just have a little time left. So I'm not going to waste my time and my energy, all of my mental energy. I'm not going to focus upon this person who's just saying bad things about me and about my ministry. Now, if they were saying bad things about the gospel, we see other places in the New Testament. Paul doesn't stand for that. If people are preaching a false gospel, Paul writes long letters, look at Corinthians, about those who were mocking Paul's apostle uh, status and, and calling themselves super apostles. Paul will, will defend the gospel if someone is preaching a wrong gospel or tearing down the gospel of Christ. But he will not spend his time and spend his energy, really waste his time and waste his energy on those who are just, you know, yeah, they're saying bad things about me and about the churches I've started. That's fine, Paul says. I'm not, he says, what then? What am I going to do? Am I going to sit here and worry about that while I'm in prison? No. Because even while they're tearing my ministry down, they are still sharing the gospel. And so let them be. Let's not waste our time with them. Let's focus our time upon what God has us here to do. And so I think that that's a second thing that we can take from this passage in Philippians chapter 1. First of all, don't lose focus upon our main goal. And secondly, don't waste your time and don't waste your, your words. Don't waste your resources. Don't waste your energy upon people just talking bad about you who really have no foundation. And Just let your fruit... Let your fruit be your witness. And let your fruit be for the gospel. The third and final thing, I think probably the most powerful thing that Paul says in Philippians chapter 1 here that we can take. Look at how Paul reacts to his current situation. There in verse 20, starting in verse 20 and verse 21. Paul says, It is my eager expectation and hope that I will not at all be ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored or glorified, some versions say. Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. I mean, these previous verses, Paul has built the case for how Christ will be honored in his life. If injustice is happening to him, Christ is still going to be honored in my witness. If someone is, is slandering me, Christ is still going to be honored in my witness, in my life, in my ministry. So Paul says, if I keep on living, Christ is going to be glorified. Christ is going to be honored. But even in my death, if I die here. And you know, the emperor at this time was Emperor Nero, who even if you don't know much about Roman emperors, you've heard of Nero who in a, a couple years would, would put Paul to death and would put Peter to death. And Suetonius, the Roman historian, not a Christian, not, not familiar with the Christian movement, he writes in his history that, that Nero is the one who 
got Christians from the jails and wrapped them in cloth and tar and lit them on fire and used them as torches for his parties that he would have at his palace. That's, that's the emperor that Paul's, Paul's imprisoned with right here. Paul says, whether I'm alive or whether Emperor Nero does something to me, puts me to death. For me to live is Christ. If I live, Christ is going to be honored in my life. But if I die, that's gain. That's even better than me living. Now, dying is not something, you know, we as Americans, as, as Western, in the Western Hemisphere, we don't like to focus upon death. We do everything we can to, to fight sickness and to fight uh, acts, to stop accidents from happening so that we can keep on living. So that we can keep on living. But Paul says, yeah, I want to live. And if I live, it's going to mean, he goes on in this, in this chapter to say, it's going to mean continued ministry, fruitful ministry among you. But if I die, praise God, that's even better. Now, I'm not at that place in my sanctification. I really need to use Paul as my example. I'm not ready to die now. But, but I think that, that if I was put in that situation at the age of 39, 40 next week, if I was put in that situation... I trust that God would, would give me enough grace, send his angels to minister to me however he does that, that I would be ready to go and to, to think that death is gain. Death is gain. Are you at a spot like that in your sanctification? Like I said, I'm not. But I, I know that God would prepare me, and I know that God prepared Paul. You see... Sickness is not the worst thing that could happen to us. Being thrown in prison for the gospel, being threatened with death because we're a follower of Christ, is not the worst thing that could happen to us. The worst thing that could happen to us is somewhere along our walk of following Christ, somewhere in this time of sanctification that Christ has us here for, we become distracted and we leave the way of following Christ either to focus upon the injustices that we think we need to and we have the power to correct, or whether to, to spend our time defending our reputation. That's, the, that's a much worse thing that could happen to us than dying as a faithful follower of Christ. So, so we need to think about that this week. As news reports are going to come out and people are going to give speeches and politicians are going to... and the rhetoric is only going to become more and more divisive as we get further and further away from what everyone agrees was a tragedy in Dallas. Things are only going to get more and more you know, divided into the two camps. We need to, to take the words of Christ and take the words of Paul with us this week that this world is not our home. We're just ambassadors here. When there's war going on in the politics of the United States of America... That's not, that should not be our primary focus. Our primary focus should be, God, where you have put me, I will be a faithful witness. We're going to have a hymn of response. And as I'm going to pray for us, and then as we stand and sing that hymn together, think about where God has you and why God has you where he has you, and how you can be a minister for the gospel right there in your job, in your school, in your neighborhood.
and try to, to ask yourself, how can I become more and more like Paul that I can follow Christ, that the gospel can become my primary focus, that glorifying God can become my identity, that I might not be distracted by the things of this world. So pray with me now.